Do you like to eat meat, but at the same time, do you struggle because studies show that conventional meat production is harmful to both animals and the environment? Well, you may not need to choose between meat and the environment anymore. I'm Daniel Hartz, and this is the Sustainability Champions podcast, where we highlight the people, ideas, and innovations that are protecting and healing the planet. Today, my guest is Ken Denud co-founder and CEO of Meetable, based in Amsterdam. Meetable is revolutionizing how meat is made, so we don't need to harm animals or the planet by growing it from cells. This is known as cell-based meat. Thank you very much for joining me, Khan. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm very happy to, um, uh, to be here and to uh, share some of my, my thoughts. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing all about it. And today, three things I'd like to really discuss is, first of all, what exactly is cell-based meat? And from yeah. there, uh, you know, why did you choose to leave your job at McKinsey to start this company? And finally, how is Meetable disrupting the meat industry and making it more sustainable? So, First and foremost, what exactly does Meatable do? So at Meatable, we make cultivated meat. And I think we believe that meat is here to stay. People love eating meat. It's delicious. It has a lot of protein in it. In all cultures, it has a, a, a role that's much bigger than just, just the nutrients, right? So we really believe that meat is here to stay, but that more and more people are starting to see the downsides of, of how it's being produced mm -hmm. in terms of uh, climate change effects, animal welfare, water use, land use. And I think what we at Meetable try to do is we disconnect the product, which everybody likes and which we think there's definitely a place going forward. And on the other hand, the production way, which is not sustainable. So what we try to do is uh, disconnect those two. Basically, what we do is we isolate a few cells from an animal. And instead of growing it in the body of the animal, we mimic the circumstances that the cells and the tissue experience in the animal. And we uh, mimic that outside of the animal. And if you do that well, the cells start proliferating and you get the, the, the muscle tissue and the fat tissue that we all really uh, enjoy eating. Yeah, that's um, that's incredible. I think you're absolutely right. There's um, you're basically talking about the when you said meat is here to stay. I think I agree with you because if I'm not mistaken, meat consumption is still going up despite the fact that people are aware of the environmental and just how meat is produced. Uh, despite all of that, people are still eating more and more meat around the world. Yeah, it's an interesting statistic because even in the Netherlands, for example where uh, you would think the conscious on, on sort of uh, climate change is, is maybe higher than in other parts of the mm -hmm. world. What you actually see is that the uh, meat alternatives market is rapidly increasing, but also at the same time, meat consumption is still, uh, still increasing, right? So basically you see a one-to-one -one correlation on income increase and meat consumption. So the, the more people have to spend, the more they, they consume meat essentially. So with a a wealthier and wealthier population, that's what you'll see. Yeah, I think I've seen that as well. And you're absolutely right. It's um, There's something very, I mean, meat is delicious. And um, it is a big part culturally as well. Going back thousands of years, it's it's an important part of society and, and, and 
you know, how people actually would celebrate things. So you're not just, it's not just food that we're talking about here. We're really talking about families getting together and societies working. And so, yeah, it, it ultimately is how do you ensure that with this growing meat consumption, how do we make sure that we're actually creating it in a way that's good for the environment and doesn't harm it? Exactly, exactly. What was the moment when you decided to leave McKinsey? Because I, w- I would imagine you have a job at McKinsey. Uh, you know, it's it's a. I'm, I'm assuming it's a good job. And you just said, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm going to start a cultivated meat company. What was that? What was that moment? There was a couple of things, actually. And and personally, for me, this is one of the most most important topics that you can work on. If you look, and, and, and with that topic, I mean, in general, getting animals out of the food system or becoming less reliant on animals for our, for our food production. Like we already said, it, it touches on so many of the megatrends uh, and so many of the biggest challenges that we have as society. Uh, so I think that was one of the reasons that I thought this alternative protein, as they call it, which is sort of the bigger and we are part of that with cultivated meat, but that's sort of the bigger, the bigger movement. Mm-hmm. I just felt a strong, very strong connection. Secondly, I really enjoyed my time at McKinsey. I learned so much there. It, it's an amazing company, but by definition, you're on the sidelines. You mm-hmm. advise um, right. uh, business leaders on how to, how to run their business. I thought next to the, the relevance of what we're doing at Meetable, I also felt the need to really create something and to have something uh, that I go to work and it's my my place. So I had, I had a strong, uh, strong feeling there. And I think those two really came together. And then there was just the opportunity. I met Dan, Dan Leuning, my co-founder. He is the, the scientist. He's been working in this field for the past six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, has a, he had a great uh, scientific plan, but he said, I don't know how to build a company out of this. I don't know how to do the fundraising, how to build an organization. I said, okay, I think I can definitely help with that. And we, we hit it off. We had a, a couple of conversations and, and that's sort of how it, uh, how it came to be. Wow. Very cool. I mean, it's, it's such a big change from what you're doing or what you were doing at the time. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think, um, I think you're absolutely right. The food systems, I, I keep seeing just in, in various areas when I read about sustainability, how important it is to change how food is produced for us to live sustainably on our planet because to feed, you know, approaching 8 billion people. And like you said, there's a growing middle class. And because of that growing middle class now, more and more people are eating meat. So uh, it's such an important question. How do we feed everyone without basically completely killing the planet? And so what what exactly is Meetable doing? I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I can't really appreciate the, the complete nuances of it, but what, what exactly is Meetable creating? How is it revolutionizing the meat industry? Yeah, so like I said, in the, the, the basic concept is very simple. So mm-hmm. we recreate what happens inside of the animal, in the, in the muscle of the animal, we recreate that outside of the, but I can, I can go a little bit more into, into detail on that. So we start with, with a few cells, essentially. Okay. And then what you can do is you can mimic in a vat. We, we sort of compare it to a beer brewing vat. Uh, you can put the cells in there and you make sure that they feel comfortable. And that means putting them in 37 or 38 or 39 degrees, depending mm-hmm. on the species. You make sure that they have enough oxygen and you give them the nutrients 
that are required for them to start dividing themselves. So that's glucose, that's amino acids, which is the building blocks of of proteins, uh, some salts, some vitamins. And I'm hugely oversimplifying, but if you do that well, uh, the cells feel at ease and they start dividing themselves. And then in our case, they go to a second beer brewing vet, so to say, and that's where we start the uh, process of moving from the stem cell to a muscle and fat tissue and in the end meat and then if you do that successfully uh, basically in the period of say three weeks you can build you can make a uh, a piece of meat wow okay and so so you mentioned species depending on the species so what meats do you focus on or what species do you focus on so right now we have a, a big moment coming later this year which is our first prototype showing uh, that will be a pork okay uh, pork prototype one of the reasons it's it's because it's the it's the most widely consumed uh, meat in the world mm. and definitely also in asia which is one of the big meat growth markets uh, it's it's the most widely consumed by far and the second we are focusing on the second meat type is uh, beef And the reason for that, obviously, is because it has the highest greenhouse gas footprint, right? The the highest climate change footprint. Mm -hmm. Interesting. um, I've spoken to a a few other cell-based or cultivated meat companies, and um, you're actually the first who's focusing on two species at the same time on both pork and beef. There's a couple of other companies, they just focus on basically on one this first prototype, what's the actual product go- going to be? Yeah, we're going to keep that for us, to ourselves uh, okay, for now. I'm, I'm afraid it's, it, uh, we're building up the tension. So that, that's going to be, you'll Absolutely. see that um, somewhere, in, uh, somewhere in Q4 probably, end of Q3, beginning of Q4. That's awesome. And have you had a chance to taste any, any of the products that you're working on so far? No, not yet. So the interesting thing is that we are still in sort of the small scale production, mm-hmm. uh, right? So what we now do is we analyze. Uh, so we put it there. There are so many tests you can do in terms of does it have the right uh, texture? Does it have the right flavor? Does it have the, ni- the right protein content? So we really use the uh, materials we currently have for the uh, analytical analytical testing to make sure it's as good as we want it for the prototype. Yeah, that's very cool. And so you said it takes three weeks to go from a cell to uh, a meat product? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, of course, dependent on how many cells you start with, you can imagine. But once we have enough of these, the cells that we have in the first first vat, then the actual uh, process of going from the stem cells to the to the meat tissue, uh, to the meat, that takes uh, takes about three weeks. Wow. So, and how long does it take to normally um, produce meat, you know, in its current form? So when you have a baby cow or a baby pig before it's ready to actually be turned into meat how long does that process take i believe typically i mean it depends on when you when you slaughter the slaughter the animal right so if you have veal meat i think that's less than a year mm. but typically i think it's for for beef it's like 18 months something like that uh, wow. before the uh, before the cow is uh, uh, is slaughtered so it's it's a different different time frame for sure so yeah i mean you're so you're speeding up the entire process from let's say 18 months down to three weeks and how much space is required to i mean compared to meat production normal meat production how much space and like water and all of that is required to make your process compared to 
the way it's normally done. I mean, it's 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 way less, right? And, yeah. and one of the reasons, of course, is because you can, uh, as we say, you basically can go up, uh, and you cannot do that with with cows grazing grazing in the field, right? You right. there's only one uh, one plane there, so uh, for sure we'll need we'll need far less uh, far less land. And same with with water. You can imagine cows and, and pigs, they need a lot of water, especially if, you, if they're only being slaughtered after 18 months. They need a lot of water to produce those couple of kilograms of meat. And that's, that's I think that the latest estimates are that it's over uh, more than 90% more efficient in terms of its water use compared to, uh, to traditional farming. Wow. So basically from the point of view of revolutionizing, I mean, you're really completely, uh, like you said, you're separating the production of the animal and the actual meat. And because of that, you, you don't need any of the space or water that's required. I, I noticed that you used the word cultivated and at the beginning in the introduction. I said cell based. So is there a difference in the terms or how did you pick? How do you why did you pick to use the word cultivated meat? I think we feel that this best describes the product that we're making. And we went from clean meat to cell based meat to um, uh, cultivated meat. And I think it best describes because in the end, cell based meat. Traditionally produced meat is also cell-based meat. Um, so that's why we sort of felt cultivated meat is, is sort of the most, most accurate uh, in terms of its description of what, what, what it actually is. That's so funny. It's absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, cell-based meat is, yeah, meat is made of cells. So to call it that is a little bit, um, yeah, not quite so interesting. And, and so what I'm, I'm really curious to know, I mean, how does the future of food look like to you from this point of view? I mean, if you're, uh, you're at the beginning stages of, of creating an entirely new way of producing food. So, you know, if, if we fast forward five, 10 years, how does food look like uh, to you? And I can try to answer that in two ways. So I think, I think the next 10 years, I, I forget who said it? But but I think sort of this this decade, somebody mentioned that this will be sort of the decade where the decade of food tech, essentially food technology. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see sort of technology becoming a part of the food system more and more because people more and more understand, like you you said yourself, with uh, feeding aid to I think I think the expectation is it goes up to ten billion people. We will need to embrace technology to do that effectively. So I think that's something that you'll see sort of more and more in, in the coming five, five to 10 years. Then for cultivated meat specifically, uh, I think in the next 10 years, for sure, you will see it go to market. And I think you will see the, the beginning of the scale up. The magnitude of the meat market globally is, is so huge that, that I think it will take some time just to ramp up the production capacity before we really can sort of provide significant quantities, uh, if you look at it in, in, in the total meat production, so significant percentages of meat using cultivated meat production methods. Mm-hmm. So I think only sort of in, in uh, 10 to 15 years, you will see that very, very fast ramp up. That's, that's, what, I, uh, that's what I expect. Yeah, so that's a couple of thoughts on how I see that, uh, that playing out. So I think this decade, food technology will... Uh, become more and more sort of ingrained in in our food system 
and you'll see sort of the the products hitting the market and and uh, and scaling up in sort of the next next ten years. Yeah. Do you expect to see, um, or are you working toward completely replacing the way that meat is normally produced? So in the end, I think it's all about consumer choice, right? That's what we are, and we're expanding consumer choice. And what you already see is that there's plant-based meat alternatives. Then now there's going to be cultivated meat. Uh, maybe at some point, even also in the Western world, insects mm. are going to be accepted uh, as a source of protein. And uh, I think what we are trying to do at Meatable is is increase that consumer choice. And then it's up to the consumer to to decide in the end which products they uh, uh, they like most. I know right right now the the challenge with with this technology is to actually create something that's like an actual steak for instance that looks like a steak. Is that something that that you're eventually planning on going toward in in terms of like basically creating any type of cut of meat that anyone could possibly want? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think we we're a mission-driven company and we really uh, I think to achieve that mission you need to be able to provide a significant part of the total meat market, right? Other in terms of reaching our goals in, in terms of climate change, water use, animal welfare, all those things we've discussed before. So if you know that, that you need to really, really provide a significant percentage of the, uh, of the global meat market, then you also have to tackle all the different cuts of meat and you have to also the more uh, uh, solid, high quality mm-hmm. cuts of meat. So definitely that's in our R&D pipeline. Wow, and as far as um, this the, the the scalability aspect, that sounds to me like a big thing to tackle. Just because uh, you you need to be able to produce enough meat for it to actually make an impact on how meat is produced, uh, basically around the world. So, what what are the you know kind of on a broad level? How do you actually scale up this production so that you're able to sell your products around the world? Yeah, it's a good question. And in the end, it's, it's very comparable to, to other fermentation, fermentation technologies. So the beer brewing vat again that I spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. it's just sort of we know that it works on a small scale. And then it's all about doing the required tests to see, hey, will this actually um, uh, scale at the bigger, bigger vats? So in that sense, it's, it's very similar to any R&D process where you start small and then um, you see in your processes and you can do the, the required test to see if it actually scales. And, and it's, it's a very good point because we need it to scale, right? Because mm-hmm. you need to be cost efficient. Again, we're a mission-driven company. So you know that, again, to be able to supply significant parts of, of, the, uh, of the global meat demand with our products, uh, it needs to be available for uh, everyone. So it needs to be in the end price competitive with traditionally produced meat. And also to reach that price, you need it to, uh, you need it to, to scale. Yeah. It's interesting because I've spoken to, like I mentioned, a couple of other um, cultivated or cell-based meat companies. And part of their vision is to also completely re- remove or significantly decrease the travel distance that food has to move. For instance, there's um, there's a company in Singapore called Shiok Meats, and they do currently they're f- focusing on shrimp and then moving on to to lobster. And and Sandia's the the CEO, her vision is to actually create these little breweries around the world, so you don't need the shrimp to travel at all. Like you can grow it right outside of Amsterdam, for instance, and then bring it right in. So is that? Um, but I'm not sure if that's the correct way to do it for everyone. Is that? Is that how you envision it as well? Is to have like 
breweries all over the world or just one central hub where it's all created and then distributed? No, I think I think that definitely definitely resonates. And the the, the beauty indeed is you can scale, but you can only scale so much, right? So, for right. example, um, probably the the tipping point will be somewhere at, at a couple of thousand kilos per per facility. Uh, so that means that you can indeed make sure that demand and supply are very well connected, and indeed just outside of Amsterdam, yeah, you can uh, uh, have your uh, have your meat production. Facility. That's really cool. I, I imagine, I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of like, because clearly with this kind of increased consumer choice, you know, plant-based meat options are, that's a completely different product. I mean, it, yes, it is supposed to replace meat. Uh, you just have to philosophically agree that veganism or, you know, not eating meat at all is the correct way to go. Whereas what you're saying is actually, and this is what you said at the very beginning, meat is here to stay. So you're not saying don't eat meat, you're saying just eat a different type of meat. Um, and I imagine that that could, you know, it, it will reduce the the type of, the, the, the number of farmers who are actually creating normal meat consumption. It'd be really interesting to see if farmers who are currently producing regular meat would actually start working for a company like Meatable and moving um, in order to stay in the same field but you know, maybe their demand has gone down, and and they can't afford to actually run their farm anymore. So, from the point of view of you know, what are the implications of your technology? I wonder what the shift of people uh, and and occupation will look like. Do you have any um any thoughts on? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting question, and um, obviously we we talk to farmers, right? And I'm always amazed by how scientifically savvy they are. Like they, they are they are scientists. Um, I can I can I can tell you that. So I, I definitely could see it happening. I think it's too early to sort of judge how how it will exactly play out, but you can see that they have a uh, role in providing some of the nutrients that we use to create our meats, right? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely an area. I think secondly, and that's an idea that's also been posed in the Netherlands, is could they move from traditional meat to to cultivated meat, or could they uh, do side by side so that they also have a couple of live animals uh, and have a uh, cultivated meat uh, production unit. So I think there's, there's definitely, there's, there's many ways how this could, uh, could this, this could play out. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, you could have both. Um, Cause I imagine there will still be, like you said, there probably still will be a market for actual, um, I wonder how, how will you actually call traditional meat you know we have a like we said we have a word for for what you're creating right now which is cultivated meat is it just going to be called traditional meat or yeah i call it traditionally produced meat indeed yeah yeah we'll see what happens yeah yeah once once cultivated meat hits the market yeah and so what's the what's currently the biggest challenge that you're you're focusing on and and looking to overcome i think it's it's the scaling because in the end, like I said, we're a mission-driven company, so we we need to. That doesn't need to be the case for the first product that hits the market, but at at some point, you need to be cost competitive if you really want to hit the make the contribution that we want to make to uh, climate change, animal welfare, all those things, mm-hmm. um, uh, and to reach that cost uh, cost competitiveness, uh, you need the the process to scale. So that that's a big big topic for us at the moment. Understood. So the first prototype will be ready end of Q3, beginning of Q4 this year. And then at what point in time do you think you'll be ready to actually, you know, mass produce and start truly selling your products? 
Yeah, so we're sort of in the next two to three years planning on hitting the market uh, with our first first product. Yeah, like I said, the, the, the meat market is, is so big that before we really, you will start seeing it as a percentage in, in sort of the total meat uh, consumption. I think that will be sort of more five, six years away. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, pending regulatory approval in the next two to three years, we're planning to get our first product on the market. Wow, fantastic. That's, that's very quick. Khan, thank you so much for going through this with me. It's, um, it's fascinating to hear what your thoughts are on the future. And, and I mean, you're truly revolutionizing the way food is made. Um, I mean, quite literally. And I think the future is, is very bright. And companies like, uh, like Meetable, I think, are absolutely crucial to how we can live sustainably. Because like we were saying at the beginning, I, food production is a huge, puts a huge strain and it, it has a really big impact on the environment. So if we can find a way to feed ourselves while uh, at the same time completely removing that strain, I think it's, it's exactly what we need to do. So for anyone who's interested in actually learning more about Meetable or uh, if they want to uh, read about what you're doing, where, where exactly can they find you? Very easily. Uh, so Meetable.com. And it's, it's, the story is there, the, the FHQ is there, so you can learn everything you want. Uh, Sounds very good. So yeah, Meetable, M-E-A-T-A-B-L-E.com. And there's a lot of pretty pictures of, of fields and, and cows, and it's a very, very nice looking website. Well, um, Khan, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate uh, you going through Thanks this with us. Me. Yeah, it's very interesting. And um, have a great rest of your day. Cool. Talk soon. Bye, Daniel. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. And also, please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.